It takes two flints to make a fire. Louisa May Alcott. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kentad Svensgaard. And along with me, as usual, please say hello to AJ Mass. Hello. I thought this was supposed to be a blog, though. I thought we weren't supposed to communicate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but the affection we have for each other, AJ, means we're going to have to just risk it. All right, we'll risk it for the biscuit, yo. A very, oh, yeah, very, yo. very criminal biscuit. <laughs> yes. Uh, in case you are unaware, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen this show before, and we'll be giving you that first-person perspective. As our friend AJ here has seen each and every episode, we call him the old grizzled veteran Today, we are talking about Season 4, Episode 12, entitled Soulmates, written by our old friends Debra J. Fisher and Erica Messer, and directed by John Gallagher. This episode originally aired on January 14th, 2009. AJ, my alternative title for this episode would be, It Takes Two to Make a Thing Go Wrong? Uh, yes, it does. It takes two to make it out of sight. I, I thought that's where you were going with your opening quote, actually. <laughs> I was going to go there. I was going to go there, but uh, went for something else. And surprisingly, I did not even realize uh, DJ Easy Rock has passed in 2014. I didn't oh, realize no. that. Ah, I guess Rock he, Bass I is get, still with us. Yeah, but, I guess uh, he doesn't want to rock right now. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, if I were going to put an alternate title for this one. See, I would have, I would have changed the music involved in the uh, signaling and then just named this together forever. And Rick rolled everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been, uh, I think a more entertaining episode, slightly more entertaining episode. So yeah, let's get into it. Why don't we, we uh, open in Sarasota, Florida. We see a very, I would say waterfront, lakey, beachy kind of community, kind of. It's Florida, so. Tampa, St. Pete kind of area, West Coast. Uh, Very, very stock footage B-roll at the start of this thing, which I'm just like, oh, come on, guys. Come on. Shoot shoot some stuff. (laughs) Yeah. We do see a father and daughter. Uh, Turns out their names are William and Andrea. And uh, it's our old pal. Spin City, many, many other shows, Arliss, uh, Mr. Michael Boatman, as our father, William, here. Yes, another in our uh, season four cavalcade of stars. <laughs> yes. It's like he's giving the daughter a little bit of a driver's license, driver's test. He wants her to get her license, and she's being a teenage girl. She's uh, disappointed in her dad because it seems like he's a busy guy and he's always off to work. And- He's got to leave her yet again. 
he says, well, you know what? I want to see a smile on your face. So guess what? If you get your license and you do good in school and everything, you're going to get this car. And of course, all of a sudden she becomes daddy's little girl. She's very happy to hear this. And uh, they pull up in their neighborhood. While they're talking, there is some music going on in the radio, which I, I didn't note in my notes, but I guess I should mention it now. Uh, it's not even, it's not even on the radio. It's just kind of like out there. Yeah, I'm everyone, sorry, drifting. Yes. Everybody in this neighborhood is outside. <laughs> it is a weekend. It is Everyone's just like block party central or something going on. Just everyone up in everybody's business. It's, this is the busiest neighborhood I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of action going on. So anyway, uh, they get out of the car and, and come into the house. But the dad goes into the house and the girl sees some of her friends on the street. And we get some uh, important information here that there are apparently some girls that have gone missing. And the daughter, I should mention, I guess she's African-American you didn't know Michael Boatman when I said he's African-American. I guess I should note that they're African-American. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because she mentions that the uh, missing girls have been alternating between black and white, which is, I guess, an interesting fact uh, for this case. And certainly, as we know from watching the show, uh, there's usually a preferential victim for unsubs. So the fact that it's crossing racial lines is unusual. Right. Then all of a sudden, a bunch of police cars pull up, AJ, Sarasota police, and we hear the the uh, loudspeaker, William Harris. They go up to the, the house. William Harris is our dad, obviously, Michael Boatman. He is under arrest for the kidnapping of Missy DeWald and the murder of three women. It's a big sort of a shocking little scene. He comes out and tells his wife... No, no, that is some sort of mistake. Must, there must be some kind of problem. They start reading him his rights. Meanwhile, BAU pulls up. So they're already on the case. We're not getting an introduction back at the office. They're here already, presumably working on this case. They look a little annoyed at the sheriff's uh, actions here. Because it seems like maybe he's uh, he's moved a little too fast. In fact, when they ask him what he's doing, he says he got tired of waiting, <laughs> which is always a great sign from your local PD. <laughs> I mean, you know, like you said, the BAU is already here advising yes. on the case, and he's just going to thumb his, his nose at them like, nope, I'm arresting them. Ha, 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 ha. What's weird about this is that no more than two nanoseconds later, they cut to the precinct, and he's like, I'm sorry, I guess I shouldn't have jumped the gun. We got nothing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't listen, is what he says. And, and Morgan, I suck at my job. Yeah. Like, yeah, we told you that, dude. But um, but uh, Morgan says, look, detective, we got a witness who can place this guy at this uh, abduction site. And he also has a history of similar crimes uh, where the same MO happened in Atlanta, and they apparently just had moved here from Atlanta about six months ago. So there is probable cause to make the arrest. They just don't have any evidence, enough evidence yet to make, to actually prosecute them. So the sheriff says, well, what are we going to do? And then 
Morgan, of course, says typical, you know, we got to find out what's in his house. We're going to see, check his family, his work, his friends. Basically, we got to do a profile and, and figure it out. Meanwhile, we can see uh, William in the interrogation room and he's just looking at his watch, like annoyed that at this little, you know, this little inconvenience that has put <laughs> messed up his timing for the day. It doesn't look like he seems too concerned other than just annoyed at the situation was my interpretation of his yeah, behavior. Uh, he's, he's cool, calm, collected. Even when he was arrested, he didn't really offer up a fight. He's like, yeah, all right, those are my rights. Cool. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Uh, we learned that this, this guy usually holds the victims for two days before he kills them and Missy disappeared yesterday. So since he's here, as long as we keep him, there's a good chance we can still get this girl alive. So they decide, okay, well, let's talk to the detective that uh, investigated him in Atlanta, see what happened with that. And then uh, Morgan points out that this guy is a successful litigator. So they're going to need some way to throw him off guard. Maybe they could find something in his previous statements that will uh, help them with that. So the sheriff is going to get right on that. Then... And I keep I called him a sheriff. I think he's actually just a detective. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so the, the, he says, well, we can only hold him for so long before he has to go before a judge. So what are the odds we can get this guy to break in the next 12 hours? And Rossi gets to say the ever dramatic line, pre-credit line. He says, that's not going to be easy. And we go to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. Ticking clock. <laughs> <laughs> we are at our arrest scene, the uh, Harris household, and we see news vans pulling up, and there's a crowd, of course, gathered. I mean, there was already a crowd, but now the crowd has something to pay this attention to. This is the busiest neighborhood <laughs> in the world. I would not want to move here. There's just too many people up in my business. <laughs> uh, we get our quote from Reed. He says, no mortal can keep a secret. If his lips are silent, he chatters with his fingertips. Betrayal oozes out of him at every pore. Sigmund Freud. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dr. Freud, what do you want to say about this? <laughs> So uh, we see the mom, Mrs. Harris, I believe her name is Sharon. She comes out. She's looking at the crowd warily. She checks uh, on her daughter. And uh, then we see an actor that looked familiar to me. And actually, at first glance, I thought it was John Delancey, but I don't think it was actually John Delancey. No, just some rando. Yes. He's actually asking the BAU and the sheriff, uh, the detective, if this guy did it, did he rape and kill the girls? Obviously, they can't answer that. Oh, but he was the coach of my daughter's soccer team. I'm afraid to let her leave the house. Jordan says, look, I know it's frustrating. We can get any information. We'll let you know. Uh, and then she goes off to talk to the press. Yeah, I got to say, uh, for a guy who's moved into this new community and been around for six months, he has infiltrated <laughs> this community. Yeah. I mean, he's already this girl soccer coach, and he's a successful litigator. He's, you know, his job, and boom, boom, boom. This man is a pillar of the community very quickly. Yes, indeed. 
This gives us a chance to cut over to the interrogation room. Uh, Morgan and uh, Rossi are going to be the ones handling the interrogation. Morgan is like, uh, I got to remind you that there's you need you can have a lawyer present. And he, of course, very smugly says he is a lawyer. And so Morgan starts pulling out pictures of the dead girls. These girls look familiar to you, that type of thing, trying to shake them up with the pictures and lets them know, you know, we also have a witness that can place you at the mall that when she got abducted, we also have heard that you seem to have a history of this type of behavior. What happened in Atlanta? And he's like, oh, those charges were dropped. It was a mistake. And, and then Morgan is like, because two rape victims wouldn't testify and you covered your tracks by killing this, killing them. And he says, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. Rossi starts trying to get to him with, oh, well, you know what? You've been married for 18 years. You know how you get when you fall in love. All the firsts, you know, the kisses and the smell of her hair. It's exciting. You must miss that, right? Uh, obviously trying to get him sort of riled up along that path. Yeah, Rossi's playing. It's it's not good cop, bad cop. It's condescending cop, bad cop. <laughs> right. <laughs> but William, he isn't doesn't seem to be perturbed. He seems to know what they're all about. And he's like, you know what? Every time, every minute you're spending with me is another minute she's alone with whoever the killer is. So they're like, oh, so we brought the wrong guy. And he says, yes, just like they did by, in Atlanta. By the time you guys realize I've been telling the truth, this girl could already be dead. He's a cool customer. Props to him. I mean, he's he's not coming off so cocky that you think oh he's clearly the guy it's just like look guys it's, it's, I, I know what you're doing just it's not it's not gonna work because it can't work because i'm not the guy just yes. find, find the real guy <laughs> and you know he's clearly been through this before <laughs> I, yes and he's a lawyer, he's a lawyer. So he understands, yeah, like, he, yeah. Totally perfect casting. Boatman is so good in this episode. I gotta say, like, he, he plays this role so so wonderfully. So it's 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 fun to watch. If nothing else in this episode, uh, he he makes this episode worth the the, the watch and the rewatch. Mm-hmm. So uh, we cut over to the uh, Harris's house. Prentice and Hutch are talking to Sharon and Andrea. That's the mother and the uh, daughter. They do. Talked, ask the mother if, you know, maybe we should do this conversation alone. And she's like, no, we don't have any secrets. And they don't seem to because it seems like almost every question they ask, the daughter <laughs> chirps in instead of the, <laughs> instead of the mom a- answering here. Yeah, key, key to notice there. It's almost like she's the mother and the mother's like the daughter because, yeah, she's, she's answering it all. She knows everything and she's kind of the spokesperson for the family, too. And, and yeah, the mom doesn't seem to know if he, if he really ran out for an hour or so. They, they have to remind her, look, we've got somebody missing. She's running out of time. Three girls have been murdered. How would you feel if someone was doing this to Andrea? And, and why did you move to Florida? And that's when Andrea is like, well, my dad got a better offer with another firm. Oh, it had nothing to do with the rape charges then? Which... Ooh, they said that right in front of the girl, but she actually knows all about them. She, you know, she's like, it's a mistake. Those charges were dropped, I think is actually what she says. So like like we said, the, the daughter seems to be on point in this scene and the mom doesn't seem to be really that helpful. Yeah, although I will say it, it, it's kind of funny, like in 
Back then, it may not have seemed like such a stretch for like, oh, we got treated poorly by the cops in Georgia. Let's move to Florida where it's a little more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Really>? Law and <laughs> order is, is done fairly. Uh, today's day and age, like, you, wait, you went to Florida for justice? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, eventually, Hotch tries to say, you know, you can save Missy DeWald's life. And Sharon says, you know what? That's enough. This interview is over. So she's not going to be helpful. She's not going to be helpful. And it does seem that she's drinking. (laughs) There does seem to be a lot of denial on her face right now. So next we have Reed, who's talking to Garcia. She's going to look in his computer, basically. She says, you know, William Harris seems to be very intelligent. He's covering his tracks. But of course, just because you delete your history doesn't mean... Garcia ain't going to find anything that's there. And she is looks like she's able to find something there on his hard drive. So we then cut over to the courthouse where uh, I guess, I guess it's about to be the arraignment and Sharon is there. The family is there and William is being brought through, but Hotch is, I guess going to be the one good cop because he hasn't really, (laughs) dealt with Hotch that much. Uh, He says, you know, Mr. Harris can have a a few moments with his family. And I'm sure that was completely on purpose to get something out of their conversation together. Absolutely. It's not like they're not standing right there watching the interaction. So certainly that's that's what's going on there. But also, yeah, it's like, uh, hey, I'm going to get on the good side of this family, at least. Like, I'm going to be the nice guy. And certainly by, at, after the conversation, the wife does thank Hotch. You know, thank you very much. So, like, no need to poke the bear if you don't have to. Uh, in the conversation, they start talking about his ba- his bail. And Sharon is wondering if they should pull from the retirement fund. But he's saying, you know what? You just put the house up for it. And she sort of looks worried and says, the house, well, where are we going to go if everything, if, if, if something happens? And he's telling her, don't worry, he's going to be fine. So they they take him away after they say their final I love yous. As they go away, Prentice uh, says to Hutch, did you see how she reacted when he said to put up the house? And Hutch says, yeah, she's, she's starting to doubt him. And Which that- doesn't, that doesn't make a, a, a lot of sense. I mean... Bail is only to get him out so he can kind of like not have to be in jail while all these proceedings are going on. But it's not like he's going to skip town. He's he's totally going to say it's not me. So even if he ultimately gets found guilty, like she'll she'll get the bail back. Like bail just makes sure you show up. He's going to show up. So I don't know that I don't know. I don't get all of this. I really don't. Yeah, it's a bit bit odd but she did i mean she did have a, a a little bit of a reaction so okay good for them no i no, i get it I, <laughs> yeah. like, like, there's a way to do this without like oh my gosh did you see when she put up that like she was willing to put up the retirement fund so she, she's not yeah it, it's just it's weird it's just weird it's clumsy so then we go back to the uh police station and uh, reed comes in to let the team know that garcia found an encrypted link to a, a web page and Apparently, it's an unsearchable, untraceable blog uh, with a bunch of journal entries. It's it's like some sort of diary, Reed says. So they ask him if he's found anything. And he says, well, you know, it's weird. 
I was able to differentiate between two distinct voices, two authors. And he did this because he's reading. He found various different idiosyncratic words, phrases, punctuation, etc. And then he, you know, after he says all this, he gives a funny little laugh. and was like, hey, <laughs> um, which I thought was pretty good. Nice read moment there. And the sheriff is like, the detective is like, where did you find this kid? And uh, Rossi says he was left in a basket on the steps of the FBI. Uh, of the uh, FBI. Any, any chance to bag on Reed is, is good. Yeah, I, I don't. Again, it's fine for him to come up with the two voices. I mean, that that's important to the case and everything. But he says during during this reveal, one of the voices uses the words turnpike and filling the gas tank which is regionalized to florida like what what yeah i use the i I, i'm in new jersey i use the words turnpike and filling the gas tank i mean we don't you can't fill the gas tank by yourself in new jersey it's against the law (laughs) everything's full service here but nonetheless i'm from new york originally we said fill in the the tank filling the gas tank and turnpike that's new Mm -hmm. york that's just east coast i mean i'm sure there's regional variants along the way but it's not he must be from Florida and have never lived anywhere else, which is what Reed surmises. There could have been a better example to use here. <laughs> yeah, like the one he gave for the first voice. He said the Devil's Strip, which is a small grass patch of grass that separates the sidewalk from the street. And that term, he says, is only used in central Ohio. I could believe that because I never heard it before. <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, but, you know, when, well, he, and the other one uses the word median, which means he's from Florida. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> And so uh, Morgan gets that information and heads back to the interrogation room with Rossi. Uh, and William is in there. He's like, is, oh, did something else come up? <laughs> He's just so, so calm, this guy. And Rossi starts to read. Can't remember the last time I smiled for so long that it hurt. I never felt like this before. Uh, sounds like you're bored at home and having an affair. Uh, <laughs> you know. It, it did seem quite cryptic, the, these these words that were in this supposed journal, I will say. William just thinks that they don't understand what he's saying. Uh, he thinks that they're, they're a little bit crazy. And actually, Morgan thinks he's hiding something. And William is like, no, no jury will ever convict me because somebody saw me at the mall. You think I'm talking with someone other than my wife. And at that moment, the sheriff comes in to let them know they have found Missy, to which William gives him like a, I told you so. And the sheriff's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> like he's going to go at him. But I don't know what. Again, this cop is is awful. He says, first of all, there's no reason for him to reveal that information in front of, in front of right. the suspect. Other than to get a reaction out of them, and at which point you don't then react yourself with the reaction you expected the guy to give you. He's just a bad cop. Yep. So we uh, cut over. This is a crime scene. <laughs> it is a crime scene. Yes. <laughs> to the. To the uh, it, well, actually, this is a recovery scene. It may not be where the yes, crime was committed. Uh, we don't know that yet. <laughs> Good point. I just will <laughs> stop calling using the phrase crime scene. Um, we cut Besides, over to. These are not crime scene investigators, my friend. That's a different <laughs> show. 
Yes, indeed. It's it's by some water somewhere, you know, an overpass. It's just some area. I I didn't really describe it that well, but you, it's not too important germ, or germane. The point is that her dead body is there, and uh, the te- detective is kind of down because he promised he'd bother he'd find her alive, which really <laughs> you promised. Uh, but um, Rossi lets them know that the Emmys estimated that the girl was killed several hours ago, to which the sheriff is like, oh, but we had William Harris in custody during that time. So guess he's uh, innocent. Um, no. <laughs> no. Rossi and Hotch both think clearly he's working with someone else. He has a partner. Which would be the more likely uh, yeah. conclusion rather than oh, we're wrong let him go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and before we leave this scene we just get quick cut shots as criminal minds want to do over the uh, body then we cut back to Reed and he is going over the journals printouts of the journal he's marking them up with red and blue markers he's talking and we hear him talking in his head or out loud I He's just in his own beautiful mind world with the words here. One phrase he says that sticks out is faith should never be broken. Morgan comes up and he's like, tell me you found this guy's partner. <laughs> How? How? <Yeah. laughs> it, it's all very cryptic, all these different phrases. Morgan reads one, the end of the day came too soon. He's from that. Morgan says, "Well, they clearly enjoyed being together." Really, <laughs> you got that from that? <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, the, as as much as I I really enjoy this episode, it's because of the acting, uh, all the boatman interrogation scenes. This whole blog analysis approach to solving this case is just nonsensical, farcical. As you pointed out, like just the fact that they're expecting Reed to crack the case by cryptically gathering clues with two markers and figuring out all this stuff. None of it makes any logistical sense in the real world. What they get from this after reading more, several more suggestive passages that aren't really suggesting what they're saying, but okay. uh, What they get from it is these guys just aren't obsessed with rape and murder. They're addicted to one another. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so uh, at that point, the, sh- the detective comes in with Hotch, and uh, he's all mad at, at the BAU. We could have saved her. And Hotch is saying, "Look, there were no signs that this guy had a partner until just now." The detective's like, "Well, I, that must be why he's so cocky." Hotch is like, "Well, that's what kind of arrogance you would typically find in a dominant personality." And he's found a submissive who's willing to kill for him. Prentice brings up that uh, the partner is a biter because they found bite marks on the body of, of Missy DeWald. And this has never happened in any of the cases before. And Hotch says, well, now that William is out of the picture, maybe he's changed his behavior. Uh, and they suggest maybe he went back to something that's comfortable, something he's done before. So she's gonna ha- they're going to have Garcia check uh, the dental records against any other cases, see if she can find anything. That is excellent use of Garcia's clickety-clack skills, I might say. Yes, I agree. 
now the detective wants to know what they're going to do now. And so they, Rossi and, and Morgan walk back to the interrogation room, walk in there, and they start to, to play a very <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> accusatory, oh, you must be gay type of. Yeah. They play it that way. The, Rossi uh, goes with the gay panic uh, kind of angle there, which just, just not to say it ever was was something that aged appropriately, but it it really doesn't age well. It, it yeah. just it's just wrong. But Rossi's of a different era, so I get it. But like, I guess you're gonna try and challenge his manhood if if it works, great. But it's it's not working. So just why? What? Yeah, and uh, William basically just starts talking about the DA, Lee Jarvis, uh, who he saw his name on the warrant. And he's got a great conviction rate because he doesn't uh, lose because he's not going to ruin his record over this. And he's not going to ruin his record over this particular little case. Again, Morgan is like, oh, well, you know, this friend of yours really wants to please you bad, protecting you. Uh, Rossi says, yeah, he killed Missy, so you could be together again. It's only been a few hours, but he misses you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So that's the tag that they're basically taking with him. Yeah, they're double bad copying. They're they're doubling down on on this. What? What? Are you a man or are you gay? And it just, none yeah. of this is working. It's just, it's just, it's it's not bad cop, bad cop. It's really inept, awful cop. Really inept, awful cop, it seems. Yeah. It's just, this is not going to work. Next, we cut real quick over to Garcia, who's telling them she did find some dental records. They didn't match William Harris, but they all did match a reported rape in Manatee County earlier this year. So the teeth in both cases belong to the same person, but that person has never been arrested, so she can't. she doesn't have anything to cross-reference that against. However, the victim is still alive in that that rape. Well, I guess when you say rape, you assume the victim is alive. Well, okay. I mean, could go either way, unfortunately. But yes, yeah, uh, yeah. didn't call it a murder victim. So, <laughs> yeah, if the murder victim were still alive, then we'd have a problem. <laughs> that would be different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we cut to a florist shop where that victim Connie apparently works, and Hotch and Prentice are there, and she's walks outside with them because it seems like she doesn't really want to have this conversation in front of co-workers, which makes sense. Yeah. Let's not advertise <laughs> my previous trauma, please. Yes. They ask her what the other attacker, what her attacker was like. They could says he was confident. He seemed like a control freak. He wore a mask. She could tell that he was white. He choked her left bruises, but they're not as bad as the bat mark, bite marks, which have left scars, and she hasn't been with anyone since, so she hasn't had to explain that, so it's kind of a sad, it is a, kind of, it is a sad, sad story. It's a sad story, and, and I will say, at least, you know, Hotch and Emily are very understanding, they pretend to be customers buying flowers, they, they buy flowers, so, you know, cheap-ass flowers, I mind you, but, <laughs> I mean, come on. They got to probably take it out of pocket for this one. <laughs> yeah. And so now back at the uh, station, Prentice is telling them what Connie Myers described, 
was an anger excitation rapist, just like William. So they're actually looking at two dominant personalities. And Reed says, well, that makes sense. They have a similar discourse. They're equally well-written. And I feel like Reed could have said that before when they were talking about the dominant personality. But you know. uh, Well, you know, that was, that was only about 53 pages of red and blue markings before. He's only just... Right figured that come it yeah this, this whole analyzing the blog thing is just just dumb yeah so they figure that if these guys are similar their lives probably are similar too and Harris goes to church he's bored of the PTA coaches the daughter's soccer team rarely drinks and so and Hotch says yeah but with the dark side that's why he, what he connected to in his partner so Prentice and him are going to go talk to the family, see if they know who it could be. And also the partner is definitely following the investigation. So what they're going to do is put this out to the public. They're going to try to trick the partner into reading it, into thinking that William is talking or aiding in the investigation somehow. Uh, yeah. And actually the way they're going to do it is through the uh, journal website. They're going to post a blog and say, hi, partner, we know you're out there and just want to let you know that everything's fine here and, uh, and ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're not, they're, they're not going to do the stupid thing and pretend to be William. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that, that wouldn't, that, that might be what the cop would suggest, but like, ah, let's pretend to be William. I'm like, well, he knows he's in custody, dumbass. <laughs> so yeah. that wouldn't work. But let's, let's just use the blog and say, hi, we know you're listening. Have a yeah, nice see if, see if he takes the bait. So then we cut next over to Hotch and Prentice with uh, Sharon and Andrea. And they're asking if basically they're trying to see if he's paid any special attention to anybody. They're trying to find out who his partner could be. Has he gone out of his way to avoid anybody? And she says, look, we've only been here for six months. We still got boxes to unpack, <laughs> you know, so which... Yes, but he managed to become the, the girls' he soccer the team church, coach. He coaches the soccer team. Yeah, exactly. Like, priorities. Of course, that if he were somebody who wanted access to girls of that age, that certainly would be a priority for him. Mm. Not to say that all soccer coaches are like that. I mean, I was a soccer coach. I, that's not why I did it. But yeah, it makes sense that that would be a priority for him other than pack, unpacking boxes. Yeah, so they Princess describes guy that they're looking for uh, is probably just like William. He's probably smart, strong, confident, may have a family. And uh, they believe that the accomplice has, has committed this crime before. It's probably a white man in his 40s. Could be somebody you recognize. Good chance he might come to check up on you because he's worried about William uh, and he has no way of communicating with him. So uh, you two are probably the next best thing for him. Uh, understand he's uncertain right now, He may, which may manifest itself into mood swings. Sharon says, look, we made a deal after Atlanta. There wouldn't be a chance for any more misunderstandings. <laughs> and, and, I just, like, and how is that working out for you? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it's cold, but, but accurate. <laughs> Andrea is understandably bothered because now this place which was nice is going to turn out to be just like Atlanta everyone thinks that her dad is guilty and now it's just going to get worse 
cut back over to Morgan and Reed. We're going over the, the statement they're typing in the journal to get to the uh, partner. What they typed, they read it out loud. Uh, we were surprised that you injected yourself into the investigation. You risked a lot in order to help William. And killing Missy tells us how closely you really are. And it must be devastating to learn that William is here with us. And they said he's not going to like that. It makes him sound like William was working with them. And, and Morgan's like, yeah, that's exactly what, what we want him to think. And according to Reed, he thinks William wrote most of the entries and then as they're going over this we get a i guess a flashback scene with william and whoever his partner is yes it's it's a the, it's awkward the way they do it whereas reed says oh i found these blog posts like which is probably around the time of the first victim referring to the first gift as a gift i got for you and then we flash to Actually, William and his partner, uh, where they open up the trunk and, oh, look, here's a gift for you, um, which, like, what? But once we pull out of that flashback, we pull into William, so William is remembering it. So it does work, but only works at the end of the flashback, not at the beginning of the flashback. Yeah, it, it was kind of weird because at first I thought it was going to be one of those, we don't really see, we see somebody who's not the partner because right. this is one of those... Reed telling us, but no, rather it was William thinking about this, and it flashes back, as you say, into William, who is actually smiling at the memory of that first body that of opening up a trunk and saying, "Hey, I, I got this girl for you. She's just your size," you know, like, oh, yeah. And Rossi even has to ask him what what he's smirking for, and he says, "Oh, you know." Sharon is going to be posting bail, and I'm just thinking about where to go for dinner. Uh, very, very smug. He's smooth. <laughs> Rossi and Morgan now try to go the route, oh, you know, you must not be much of a guy. But, you know, we, we thought it was, they were, both were alpha males, but I guess not because your partner's out there doing all the stuff, all the risky stuff, and you're just sitting back here is how they play it with him. So now basically the tack that Rossi and Morgan take is we're going to let William know that we've talked, we talked to his partner and we basically communicated over his little website that uh, you're, you're working with us. And what do you think he's going to do about that? You know, how is he going to feel? He's going to feel super betrayed. And what is, what actions are he's going to take? And then uh, they ask him about something he wrote thanks for the perfect place to play. They ask him, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, golfing. And Morgan is like, golfing, right. Meanwhile, we cut to a, a scene of, I guess this is the first victim and she's still alive and it's William and his partner. They ask if she's going to talk and she's seen their faces. So it's, and this this particular one seems to be you know, pretty defiant. So they kill her. They both seem to be a little bit too turned on by the fact the partner is, is watching on in fascination and William kills the uh, girl here. Yeah, it's choking, little, choking, choking. It's her. not it's yeah. no, no, no knife. He's skeevy with blood. It's just like, but yeah, they're, they're trying new things and branching out to a whole new world of 
wonder. <laughs> yeah. And he's, again, this is what William is thinking about, but he's obviously not telling, <laughs> telling Rossi and Morgan that this is why he's smiling. But Morgan at this point start pulling out some pictures of the girls, but they're all happy and smiling in these pictures. And he's like, probably don't recognize him like this, do you, William? Happy and smiling, all these gifts, all these girls. And uh, Rossi says, look, this is someone's child, Missy DeWald. She was supposed to meet her parents for dinner. She was 18 years old and only child. You just took her away. And he says he feels sorry for the parents. He really does. And Rossi's like, do you hear yourself? Not one ounce of sincerity. You're just proving that you're incapable of empathy. And Morgan is like, yeah, just like your partner, you wouldn't have done any of this without him. You just weren't complete, right? Then meanwhile, we go back over to the Harris home. We hear some noise outside. Sharon, the mom, runs outside, tells the daughter to stay there. She goes out. Car has been vandalized. Looked like it was maybe egged, and it has big spray painting on the side. Get out. And this is years I mean, before the film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as far you're right, as far as graffiti messages on the car, that, that's I mean, pretty tame. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you don't want any graffiti in your car, but I mean, there are other choice words that could have been used. <laughs> Meanwhile, some guy walks up. I guess he's a neighbor, but also he's the man in the in the flashbacks we're seeing. And he walks yes. up to them and he says, what the hell? And, uh, ah, damn kids. Don't you worry about it, Sharon. We're going to take care of this. He starts walking her back towards the house. She thanks him. So interestingly enough, you know, fits the description that the police were giving them. Absolutely. And neither one of them brought up this guy. No, this neighbor. Not, not at all. Um, and this is, uh, of course, the actor is George Newbern, who is uh, very, very much sinister as Charlie on Scandal. It is, uh, hey, it's Scandal uh, season here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, we had Huck earlier. Uh, and this is another uh, very, very uh, murderous individual from Scandal making an appearance on Criminal Minds. So back to the interrogation room. They're still reading him from, from the journal. And, oh, you guys have such an emotional connection here. You can't really deny that. Doesn't really sound like two friends to him. Sounds more like two men in love with, you, with each other. And he's like, uh, you have no idea what you're talking about. And Morgan is right. You're right. I have no idea what it's like to be in love with another man. Again, just uncomfortable, <laughs> unnecessary. Yes, exactly. But anyway, um, uh, and uh, but but having said that, this particular scene was very well <laughs> acted. Uh, all, all the boatmen, as you said, all the boatmen scenes were very well acted out. And there's mm -hmm. a, a bit of back and forth between him and Morgan where he's trying to imply William is trying to imply that he and Morgan are not so different. And Morgan is really not going to take that, especially after he calls him, uh, you know, he says to him, uh, don't you sit there with that smug look on your face and judge me, boy. <laughs> uh, not something you say to Morgan. <laughs> it's not going to really fly with him. 
No, I mean, at least, at least we're, we're not having a redneck say it to him. So <laughs> there's, right. there's a little less antagon- instant antagonism, but certainly not, not a good luck now. Yeah. Uh, Morgan is like, first of all, I'm not your boy. And the look you see on my face is one of contempt because you disgust me. We're nothing alike. You're going to be found guilty when we, we find this, this friend of yours. Uh, he goes out and he's talking to Rossi and the detective who were watching from outside. And he says, uh, you know, they ask him how it's going. And he says, well, we're just trading punches. And he's watching the clock. He's waiting on his bail to be posted. So it's a very, very good assessment because it's exactly that's why he's so calm. He knows he's just he knows exactly how long they can hold him. And it's just like mm-hmm, they don't have anything to do, do, do. So we go back to the Harris household where the wife, Sharon, is with the neighbor, Stephen. It turns out his name is. She's thanking him for being helpful. The daughter comes in, Andrea. She asks what's going on. And Sharon says, oh, well, Stephen helped clean up the mess outside. And Andrea is very like, why? Very kind of rude and short with uh, Stephen. She's like, I didn't even know you and my dad were friends. And he's trying to console her. I know this must be hard for you. Your dad's going to be home soon. People are going to forget this happened. Everything's going to go back to normal. And as he leaves, Andrea's like, somehow I doubt that. And when Sharon asks her what that was all about, she says, finally, she's starting to get an inkling of what's going on here. She says, "Uh, why is he being so nice all of a sudden? This is exactly what the FBI said to look out for. And meanwhile, Sharon is like, I'm not going to have you alienate the only person that's been kind to us <laughs> since your father was arrested. I mean, fair. She's not the one who had the uh, the conversation with Emily explaining that this is what to look for. But I mean, good, good on the daughter for being sus in the first place and then going... Look, I may not like the FBI, but I did. I, I don't think Emily was lying to me when she gave me this profile, so I'm going to go with the profile. <laughs> Back at the police station is uh, Reed coming in with with more of the cryptic log. He says the line. He says that the partner wrote this line. I feel like such an outsider. No one understands me. I watch them chase their little spawns. The same old conversations. Nothing stimulates me. To which Morgan says, sounds like a party with kids. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Okay. Not only that, then Reed comes to the conclusion that that must be from the first time they met that he's talking about. And again, like, none of this makes any sense, nor does it matter. Look, I have the timeline from when they first met. It's in the last six months. <laughs> right. Because that's when he moved there. You know when the first victim was. So it was before that. So probably the first three months is <laughs> like we've already narrowed it down just by existing in this universe and following the laws of time and space. Yeah. So Morgan heads back to the interrogation room. Rossi is basically they read him one more line and Rossi is like, you moved here six months ago and you met him sometime after that, didn't you? Then we see another flashback of, when William met Steve at some, uh, again, neighborhood event, neighborhood. <laughs> a neighborhood barbecue block party, yep. <laughs> They're sitting there, they meet each other, they're having a, 
a little conversation, they make jokes about the wife. Uh, at first, you're like, uh, okay, you know, I guess guys do do that. It's like, you know, not the nicest thing in the world, but sure, sure, sure. And it's 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 in the in the it's within the realm of hey, my name's Stephen. Hi, my name's William. Hey, that's my wife over there. Look at her, and now. Uh, ha ha funny joke about my wife but at least you know it makes sense that he's talking about his wife because hey that's my wife <laughs> where's your wife oh she's over there ha ha ha, yeah. ha. oh you're a, oh you're a lucky man and <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to the ick part of the scene <laughs> where a, a couple of young teenage girls bring them over some food and hand it to them and the conversation <laughs> The coded conversation that they have is plenty disgusting. Where <laughs> it's like, oh, they look at the, you can tell they're both sort of looking a little too long at the girls as they walk off. And they start saying stuff about the food that, but they seem to actually be talking about young girls. I mean, it's kind of like a gross thing here. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about, uh, about the meat and how it has to be rare and, fresh and bloody and like tender and it's just like okay i get it but like in what world yes. in what world is this the first conversation you have with someone and instantly they know like all right maybe i'm just not a serial killer <laughs> so, yeah. so i don't i don't pick up on the vibes nor will i send them but it, it still seems awfully awfully fast for them to go from hi nice to meet you i just moved in yes nice to meet you too should we go out and kill girls <laughs> <laughs> yes I, but to be fair like you said they're serial killers <laughs> you or i would have been like you seem to be oddly fixated on the food <laughs> you know? yeah yeah it, 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 i get it there's a vibe there's, there, I, yeah, okay. There's a vibe. There's maybe pheromones involved. There's some sort of, oh, I, I just think there'd still be a little bit more of a feeling out period. Right, a little test drive uh, before we're giving gifts to one another in the trunk. <laughs> hey, remember, remember last weekend at the barbecue when we were talking about that burger? Yeah, well, open the trunk. <laughs> yeah. Would you get me some barbecue sauce? So something from the butcher shop. Not quite. Oh, gosh. Apparently, it's not just funny to us, AJ. It's funny to William because he's laughing in the interrogation room. I don't know if that's a good good thing, though. <laughs> and Rossi's like, oh, are we funny? And and, and William is like, no, I, I was just thinking of something. I just remembered something. And Morgan tells him, I uh, hope you enjoy the memories. Cause all you're going to have when you're in prison you know, all these little urges are going to get you in trouble. So you had to run away from Atlanta and then you had to run to your new little uppity neighborhood. All of a sudden, nothing makes you happy because you miss what you did. And not even your beautiful wife and daughter helped fix that. And then you wake up one day and there's somebody you meet that's just as sick and pathetic as you are. And your whole world changes. And Michael Boatman is trying to bring it back to, oh, th is this about the black comment? Because <laughs> he did make a, a comment to Morgan. <laughs> Morgan is like, you really think we're the same because of our skin color? No, that's all we have in common. You are someone who hurts innocent people. I don't. And you're not even a man. All he can say to that is, yeah, well, if you had anything, I'd be in a cell by now. 
I, I, I will say, again, the, the interchange is fun and everything. And I love Shamar Moore. I think Shamar Moore is perfect as Morgan, but it's moments like these when he's acting opposite someone as good as Boatman that he's so outclassed in acting in this. It just comes off very flat, whereas Boatman is like this such nuance and evil lurking beneath the surface and everything. And he's like, no, you're bad. I'm not. I don't. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, so then we go back to the outside of the Harris house and Andrea is out there. She's looking at the car, you know, at the the paint, you know, you can still see the paint, but it's been scrubbed. So the words are, are gone, I guess. Uh, well, gone-ish. Gone-ish, <laughs> a little. Yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, some neighborhood bully teens come up. Basically, oh, you shouldn't be outside because it's not safe. Oh, wait. Of course it is because your freaky dad is locked up, so we have nothing to worry about. Ha, ha, ha. Is that why you you moved from Atlanta? That's, your dad was raping girls there, too? So basically, just... I guess kids would do this. I don't know. I, <laughs> it felt a little like, damn. It, I mean, it's very, very mean girl, suddenly bravado to make fun of the girl but yeah i guess if this neighborhood is as block party fun as as it appears perhaps then this would be something that would happen i mean out in public certainly i I totally you know online social media people would be tearing this girl a new one like oh your dad haha if it was at school certainly but just right in front of her house does seem a bit (laughs) cold and uh she's like no no my dad is innocent he didn't do it and they say, well, that's not what the newspaper said. And the one mean girl is like, you're about the same age as those girls. I bet he started with you, which is like, oh, yeah. Ah. Totally cold. And do you buy for one second that these girls read the newspaper? <laughs> <laughs> no, not even in 2009. And quite frankly, I think they this, read the newspaper. <laughs> this would not be in the newspaper yet. <laughs> I don't buy that it would be in the newspaper. I mean, I realized that the media was there in two seconds. It just seems odd <laughs> that this was get that much media attention that quickly in Florida. And certainly not to say that he did it. They might say he was accused. They wouldn't have yeah, said exactly. he did it. <laughs> Headline, he did it. <laughs> and back in Atlanta. <laughs> really? Did they really release that information? Back, back in Atlanta. He did it again. <laughs> Uh, the neighbor, Stephen, runs over to chase off the bullies, tells them to go go home. He tries to comfort Andrea. He's like, if you need anybody, I'm around. And she's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she walks off. He looks after her with a look in his face, maybe a little bit of worry, maybe. Concern that she totally rebuffed him. Like he went to just comfort her, not even in a creepy way, just put his hand on her shoulder. She's like, <laughs> Yeah. Don't don't touch me. We go back to the police station and Morgan is like, well, we need to figure out where the party was. (laughs) Reed says, "Okay, let's review this one more time. I'm a serial killer writing to my partner. Why do I keep a secret blog? And Hot says, well, you can safely relive your crimes. Prentice says, no one ever sees you together. No one overhears you talking. Reed says, sounds like they're taking some turns surprising each other. And he reads more of the the text. I love the challenges. The timing is always perfect. Thanks for tonight. It was tough, but I figured it out. 
nothing was going to keep me away. So they ask Reed what he's thinking, and Reed's like, well, they never write about a specific time. And Morgan says, yeah, so how'd they know when to meet? And we cut back to the Harris household. Andrea, there's an argument outside of the house coming from the neighbors. Uh, Stephen is arguing with his wife. She's telling him not to walk away. He needs, they need to talk about it. And he's saying, I told you to leave me alone. And he stalks off down the street. And Andrea gets on the phone and calls the authorities and lets them know her suspicions. No, she starts to follow this guy that may be a serial killer. That's what she does. <laughs> well, she's curious and she's, you know, not not 100% smart. <laughs> Given the circumstances. Um, but, you know, I get, you know, he's... He's exactly who the Betty I've been warning her about. Perhaps, you know, she thinks she's clever enough to be able to follow from a distance. Yes. Back at the police station, they're having a conversation with Garcia. And Garcia says there's nothing else that was suspicious on this guy's phone or his computer. All the other text numbers and files have been accounted for. And Hodge says, well, what did these guys do to communicate? And Prentice says, yeah, we're missing something. Then we cut to a neighborhood boat slip. So they're really right on the water in this community, I guess. Yeah, well, it makes sense. West Coast, Florida, they would be it's just kind of funny. Michael Boatman, and he goes to the boat yeah. slip. His partner, is he a boatman or is Michael Boatman the boatman? <laughs> exactly. And we see that Andrea's following, uh, following Stephen around. We cut back and Prentice is saying, we know that based on the language and the knowledge of the area, the partner was most likely born and raised in Florida. So they start to figure out, okay, let's work with that theory. He lives in Sarasota. He doesn't call. He doesn't write. You don't call. You don't write. Uh, <laughs> maybe the signal is something visual or something audible. Prentice says, okay, if it's visual, that could be like hanging a flag on their house. And if it's audible, they'd have to live close enough to each other to hear it. Something audible, something that you can hear. They start to figure out, wait a minute, what if what if they're not writing, what they're writing isn't poetry? What if they're writing lyrics to a song? This feels so good, so free, so right. Give me something else. Looks like it's all right. It's all I need tonight. Garcia's going with those, oh, it's lyrics. And she finds it. She starts playing it. We hear a song, the song that was playing earlier in the episode. Here Comes My Girl. It's a song by Tom Petty, The Heartbreakers. Tom Petty, who's from Florida. <laughs> oh. Not, not from Sarasota, that. but he is from Florida. Yeah. That was playing. That was the song that was playing. Hotch, when Garcia plays it, Hotch hears it and says, oh, yeah, that was the song that was playing when we pulled up. Okay. And in, in fairness, um, I went back and listen to that scene again and this song is not playing when they pull up it is playing during the scene but it is long past the point of having been played i mean sure maybe it was still technically playing in the neighborhood uh we just didn't hear it in the audio when the scene played the first time uh by the time the bau pulled up the song had finished run its course but okay fine i'm just confused at how a uh mr eidetic memory didn't pull up all these, you know, he's, he's analyzed these blogs leftward, backwards, forwards, upside down, and didn't pull it. These were song lyrics. Like, that never triggered in his uh, Rolodex. Although maybe he's not familiar with music. Okay, fine. 
possibly, but the fact that they pulled like at random three lines from these this multi-page blog and they happen to all be song lyrics <laughs> from the yeah. same song. It just it's just nonsense. Complete and utter nonsense. So they figure that that was the signal. That's how they knew they had to go back to Missy DeWald. And the partner must live nearby, and that must be where they met. And again, they bring up, well, it was a neighborhood party. So they tell Garcia, hey, we got to find out which neighbor it is. So they give her all the details of what they're looking for. She is able to quickly narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, they do the Garcia clickety-click narrow down. I got seven names, five, four, three, nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy they're looking for is living right next door. His name is Stephen Bellman. So immediately, Rossi goes and runs over to the interrogation room where Morgan and William are and says, Stephen Bellman, aha, we got you. Um, we go back <laughs> to, the, to the boat slip. Andrea's following Stephen. They do that thing where you're following somebody then you turn the corner and then they're not there. So you walk all the way right up to the fence that's there. And as she's looking through, she turns around, boom, Steven is right there. He blocks her way from leaving with his arms. He puts them around the fence so she can't get anywhere. And he asks her, are you following me? Are you, are you? And we go to a break. I mean, it's a good, it's a good, lead it to a break absolutely but yeah it is very cliche it's like hmm, i'm following him i'm following him i'm following him are you following me yeah <laughs> yeah when we come back we're at the household of steven and prentice is talking to his wife and she's telling him oh he was angry he just took off he'd been upset he's been like this all day she says when did it start the wife doesn't know this morning sometime so after William was arrested, he became hostile, didn't he? Nervous. And she says, Stephen is a good man. And they have to tell her, no, Stephen is not who you think he is. Yeah. And I got to say, excellent lip quiver acting by this woman. Her, her, her <laughs> lip just goes into complete. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's the little things when you watch it 56 billion times. It's like, oh, look at that lip quiver. Uh. At that moment, Sharon comes out of the house looking for Andrea. Uh, did you see Andrea out here? And Hotch is like, no. And she asks why Annie, uh, Stephen's wife, is crying. They tell her they think that Stephen is, is William's accomplice. And they don't know where Stephen is. And she's like, oh, my God. Andrea said it was strange that he was the only nice one. He was checking in on us. I wasn't really listening. Now they're both gone. And they say, well, it's time you talk to William. So we go back to the interrogation room. Things are coming to a head, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Morgan is saying to William, no, Stephen Bellman is not just your neighbor. They know because he told them, basically, talking about the logs. William is like, no, those don't prove anything. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, even, you know, we know that everything's about to come out here, but, you know, William doesn't. I just, I just love the fact that the scene opens up basically with a like, and Stephen Bailman is like, look, 
the fact that you guys know the name of my neighbor is not scary to me. Right. And if if that's the best your investigative team has come up with, maybe you should just let me out right now. I, it's just, it's, it is very, very – this this part is written very well. It's like, of course, wow, you said the name of my neighbor. Ooh, yeah. I'm shaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that's when the door opens and Sharon rushes in, rushes over to William she asks him where did Stephen take Andrea, and he's like, all of a sudden now he's this first sign of getting a little bit shocked. Wait, what do you mean? And Sharon lets him know that Andrea suspected him. Now they're both missing. How could you? She believed you, and he's stuttering like they're missing. Sharon is just going off all those times you disappeared. I knew it wasn't work. Thought maybe you were having an affair couldn't confront you then that would have made it real then i'd have to find out all about all the truth that you buried in your lies and you've been paid to lie so long and it's too much for her to put up with she lets him know she didn't put up the house he's like wait you didn't post bail she's like i didn't want to believe it in atlanta and i'm not going to deny it again where did steven take andrea where is she she even slaps him Calls him son of a bitch. How does that feel? Don't you see what you're doing is what Morgan and the cops say to him. You you see what you're doing to your wife, your family, Kim Groves. Your words, they yell at him. The first few hours are the best. Nobody's run out of steam yet. Andrea's been gone for two hours. What's he doing to her right now? What's he doing? Uh, Maybe he's biting her. That's what he does when you're not around. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. He's got your baby girl. You know her better than us. She's been, has she been in pain this whole time? He took your daughter. The man you trusted your life with has betrayed you. Is nothing sacred to you. Then we cut outside. Prentice is saying Stephen Bellman has a couple of commercial properties, but they haven't found anything yet. And he's probably the only one who knows where Stephen took her. They're like, I can't believe this guy would sell out his daughter to protect his partner. And they point out, no, he's really protecting himself here right now. He says anything. He's proved now that he's guilty. So yeah, exactly. He's backed into a corner. It's, it totally makes sense. And I'm glad. But I'm glad they had the seat in there. So for because as much as this show sometimes over explains things, it, it's good for them to have the basic explanation. They're like, no, no, no. He as soon as he says anything about Stephen, he's he's admitted to three murders. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not. He's absolutely not guilty of the Missy DeWall murder. We know that. He's an accomplice to it, but clearly he was here when it happened. He didn't kill her, but yeah. <laughs> then all that stuff in Atlanta also becomes, uh, yeah. Indeed. Um, so Morgan is like, what did? You, what was all that stuff you said about Missy? Turn around, look at me. Every minute that goes by, he's alone with her, right? Well, it's Andrea's turn now. Why aren't you trying to run out that door and save your child? Rossi's like, you think he's not going to hurt her? Did you? guys make some kind of deal like families off limits the longer you're here the worse it looks for steven he thinks you're in here betraying him so now he's acting out he's with your little girl now he's lost faith she's probably crying out for you saying dad dad why aren't you helping me daddy daddy why aren't you saving me come on man be a man be a father (laughs) yes good old morgan yeah they browbeat him into 
agreeing because we now go over to looks like some kind of boat warehouse or something. I don't, I don't know. A building. <laughs> it's a building, obviously, on the dock somewhere, and it's clearly yeah. the same building where we saw the uh, murder of the girl earlier. Andrea's there. She's tied up. William runs into the warehouse. Oh, Andrea. He takes her gag off, unties her. She's like, oh, thank God, Dad. He tells her it's going to be okay. She tries to tell him that it's Stephen. Stephen is the one who did this. He's the bad guy. Then Stephen comes out. He's there. And he's like, he thought I was going to hurt her. Did you think that I'd hurt her? Do you think that I'd betray you? Or is that maybe what you were trying to do to me? And William's like, I didn't tell them anything. And at this point, Andrea's like, you didn't tell them anything. Uh... <laughs> that means there's something to tell? <laughs> yeah. The two start arguing and Michael Boatman is telling Andrea, hey, trust me. I'm going to make it work out. Okay. William and Stephen argue. We had a deal. We should have never broke faith. He says, you took my daughter. He says, no, she just followed me here. And William is like, uh, she never would have said anything. And Andrew is like, I never would have said anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? Uh, <laughs> they go back and forth long enough for him to talk about Missy DeWald. He killed Missy DeWald. And that means he killed the others. Andrea's is like, what? You killed the others? He's trying to come comfort. William is trying to come and comfort Andrea. She's like, I had your back. What were you going to do? And uh, Michael Boatman's like, what if I hadn't shown up? Were you going to kill her? That's when the FBI busts in. Clang, clang, FBI, we're here. Okay, yeah, no. Because they had uh, a... Uh, a wire on Boatman. Yeah, they had a wire on it. They cut to they cut to them listening to the conversation, and the cop goes, "He mentioned Missy DeWall. We got him." Like, no. <laughs> yeah, he didn't no. say I killed her. Well, he, yeah, he he mentioned her. You also just spent twelve hours asking him about Missy DeWall, so it's not like that's. Oh, how did he know about Missy DeWall? You just spent twelve hours talking to him, Missy DeWall. Uh, at best, you may have Stephen at this point. At best, he said, you know, Missy DeWald, you killed her while I was in custody. Maybe you got Stephen. You still don't have William at this point because all he did was basically ask the question. Again, the cop jumping the gun. (laughs) But thankfully, the BAU did not go in until after several more statements. But just again, this cop is awful. So then we get a quick uh, reunion between Sharon and Andrea. She's okay. She just wants to go, go away, far, far away, way. Yes, they hug and walk off into the sunset together uh, as the police and FBI and possibly seven other law enforcement agencies uh, <laughs> move in and uh, arrest our two partners, a.k.a. soulmates. <laughs> yes, they even say uh, he got wired just to see his partner again. They needed to say goodbye. They had everything figured out except how it would end. Soulmates. And we get a final shot of the BAU jet heading home and get a quote from Morgan. British historian C. Northcote Parkinson said, delay is the deadliest form of denial. 
And that's how we end our episode, AJ. Yeah, it's, I mean, fairly, fairly straightforward ending to a very convoluted path to get to it. But uh, kudos, kudos to the acting of Mr. Mr. Boatman. Uh, props yeah. for that. I didn't hate the episode. I No, I, in fact, I enjoyed the episode, actually. Uh, you know, when you know what's going to happen and, and you know it's just basically it's an acting tour de force. Uh, it moves rather quickly. I said it, it, the whole blog thing's very, very clunky, but I think it again goes to this writing pair. The, mm-hmm. the character work is always good. It's the plot that you go, eh, really? <laughs> yeah. So let's do what we do at the end of each episode. We go to our barometer and we determine if we think that this week the BAU team won or lost. Yes, and I, I would say, you know, it took a while to get there. Um, certainly not the BAU's fault that the cops moved way too quickly on this one and jumped the gun. Uh, but, you know, they, they eyeballed their suspect. They got their suspect. They figured it out. So after after two weeks of losing, uh, a win. A win for the BAU, uh, albeit yeah. clunky. A clunky win. Let's do the next thing we like to do after a sh- after a show, AJ, which is a little segment we call now teasing it out, where uh, we talk about what might happen next week. I mean, let's do it because, you know, this week is in the past and I, I'm i just smiling here remembering. Remember at the beginning of this episode when, when we talked about this episode? Oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking of something funny about that. And we're going to have dinner. Uh, no, let's tease it out. <laughs> what is the plot, sir? Going to be for next week's episode, season four, episode 13, Criminal Minds, entitled Bloodline. Bloodline. Is it A? Did you know that vampires are real? Well, that's the theory the BAU is going on in their latest case. Or is it B? Have you ever wondered why there seem to be a lot of gypsies in the streets today? Well, the BAU is going to find out why. Or is it C? Isn't in vitro fertilization a miracle? Well, not when 57 different women come forward, all claiming their doctor uses own genetic material to father their children. <laughs> or is it D? What happens when a mob boss dies of natural causes? Well, his three sons go on a killing spree to uh, each try and claim the top spot. That's what? Bloodline. I don't think that the BAU is going to work on the theory that vampires are a thing. So that almost makes me want to pick that as the <laughs> as choice, but I am not going to. It's just too absurd. Too absurd. Mm, too crazy. Gypsies out in the street? Like, we got, this is a thing? And this is something we have the BAU to <laughs> investigate? I, I don't think so. So I'm sure that's going to be it, but I'm not going to choose it. Seems a little too absurd. So that leaves me choice C or choice D. I mean, the the doctor inseminating, doing the fertilization, 57 women. That's That was Dr. Hines, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, special recipe I, yeah. 
<laughs> I like that one, but I'm going to go with maybe the more criminal mind sounding choice D mobster three sons. They're trying to become the next big boss. Uh, that, that plot sounded the most likely to me. Okay. I will go with choice D. Fair enough. You have taken your opportunity to share your thoughts. Speaking of share, remember that great song, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves? We've had <laughs> oh, several no. episodes, several episodes with thieves on, on Grimble Minds, certainly. We had an episode with tramps, oh, hobos, no. if you will. Mm-hmm. So why not complete the trifecta? Bloodline, all about gypsies. Well, you know, I got one last week, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, you're not doing too badly. Uh, you're five and seven on the season, so it's not too bad. Uh, okay, gypsies, which, mm-hmm. uh, which we're not. I don't think we're supposed to say gypsies anymore. But uh, uh, I we get are it. not supposed to say gypsies anymore. But that doesn't mean look. We were not supposed to say a lot of things we said this week. So <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Well, I hope that one uh, feels a little less awkward than this one did in, in terms of, of that type of thing. But I'm looking forward to it anyway. And, uh, I always look forward to going over these episodes with you, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, the feeling is mutual. And that is the show for this week, AJ. I want to thank everybody out there for listening to us. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to spread the word. Let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits for AJ Mass. This is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. I believe everyone has a soulmate that they can spend the rest of their life together. Ryan Lochte <laughs>